Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. I'm Patricia Raskin. Happy to be with you. And this program is about turning your obstacles into opportunities and your problems into solutions and making your dreams come true. And we're in our 22nd year on Voice America. Today, we're talking about weight loss and weight loss surgery, bariatric surgery. And my guest is Daniello Desio, MD. And Dr. Desio was inspired to become a physician when his younger brother was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder at the age of two. And he helped his parents navigate his care after immigrating to the United States. His philosophy of care is to treat patients the way he would want himself and his loved ones to be treated. Dr. Daniello Desio is an MD, MBA, master's in administration and medical physician, medical doctor. He's a bariatric surgeon at South Coast Health, which is a hospital in southeastern Massachusetts, and he specializes in bariatric surgery and weight management. We're going to talk about a weight loss program. We'll also talk about um, patients who are appropriate candidates for bariatric surgery, and we'll talk about testing. Welcome, Dr. DeCio. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, great. Great to have you on the program. All right, so let's... First, I think the first thing that I want to ask you about is who is a viable candidate for weight loss surgery today? So uh, in terms of qualification for weight loss surgery, uh, most of major insurers have still followed the 1991 NIH consensus statement, uh, which was a meeting we had in, in 1991 to identify patients who would benefit from surgery. And the consensus statement stated that any patient who had a body mass index of 40 or above um, would qualify for surgery. And they made a special um, additional uh, category between uh, body mass indexes of 35 and 40 with chronic comorbidities, including hypertension, diabetes, obstructive sleep apnea. Um, So that's the initial uh, qualification. The other thing that's very important, uh, patients qualify for surgery when they're cognitively and physically ready for surgery. So important thing, um, we want to make sure they're not in remission from an addiction, uh, and then uh, everything at home is ready for, for their recovery from surgery. Um, alternatively, patients just have to identify that that's something they would like for themselves and then um, seek uh, to speak with one of us at the programs to initiate their journey. And how does that happen? I mean, does the patient come to the awareness themselves, or sometimes do they come to you or your program at the hospital for a consultation and it's discussed? How does it usually come about for the patient to make that decision? So, in my experience, it's a, it's one of several ways. Um, uh, a lot of my patients actually are referred to me by word of mouth. So, previous patients that have had experiences with me uh, refer to their friends, and then they see me. Uh, but um, alternatively, a lot of our local primary care providers identified that patients have, uh, you know, a slew of medical comorbidities, and they could benefit from. Uh, weight loss. And so they get referred to our program uh, to initially speak with myself or one of the other surgeons to initiate the conversation to see if you know, surgery is something that would be viable for the, for the patient or something they would want for themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. At least in my practice, a lot of it is, is word of mouth. 
or uh, general surgery patients that I've had that happen to find out that I offer those services. They, they become interested later and then decide to, to go through with the program. Yeah. I want to talk about obesity because I think it's misunderstood. You know, I think a lot of people think, well, if you're obese, you're just eating too much. And, you know, and, it, and it's it's punitive. And my question is, is that always the case? And what really causes the obesity? So obesity and specifically morbid obesity, the way I describe it to my patients is an unfortunate consequence of, of modern day living. Um, it's a multifactorial problem that has uh, uh, many different uh, causes. Unfortunately, there's no not one specific cause that, that leads people to get obese. Uh, one of the things I speak to my patients are there is a genetic component, uh, which we tend to have a negative view on. But in certain regards, uh, people have the propensity to hold weight because it served an evolutionary benefit. Um, and unfortunately, there's no good treatment for, for genetic uh, at this time. And I tell them this, it is a contributor, but nothing that um, we can necessarily mitigate. Uh, but really, I think the other two important factors that lead to um, obesity in our community is the environment or education in terms of nutrition, how people approach uh, fueling the tank, as I call it. Um, and then thirdly, um, behavior uh, health. You know, mental health, uh, addressing anxiety, depression, and multiple um, uh, psychiatric uh, comorbidities. That a lot of times people turn to food as a as a self medication to you know treat their ailments. Right. So it's like an emotional. There's an emotional component, but it sounds from what you're saying that it's a combination of lack of movement, of of wrong food choices, of just eating too much food, and also eating because it becomes your emotional crutch if you will does that does that sound right yes i mean from a from a simple standpoint it's it's a it's a simple equation it's overconsumption of calories and so if you overconsume calories based on what your body burns on a daily basis your body will turn to storing it as fat and over time um you know the more additional calories you consume the more and more you start storing um the challenge is uh, this is the one addiction where you can't completely stop the uh, the addiction you know eating is an integral part of our our lives and so it's it's a challenging balance and, and unfortunately people um just don't have a baseline education of how you know how to feed themselves properly and when you go to the grocery store there's a lot of false marketing that really just confuses everyone you know low fat this um you know, you know high protein that uh low carb this and so it's it's unless you are able to navigate a landscape of how to uh, appropriately feed yourself where you have a basic background in nutrition, it's challenging. And that's why people typically uh, turn to, you know, prefabricated diets and, and kind of do trial and error and never really quite identify something that, that really works in the long term. Dr. Desio, do you think that um, bariatric surgery, do you think it should be a last resort or not necessarily? So the way I explain to my patients is bariatric surgery is an effective tool. Um, I alter, uh, the way I, I explain it to everyone is I'm altering your anatomy. I'm going to make it very difficult for you to eat, uh, for a period of eight to nine months. And during that period, you're physically forced in a calorie restrictive diet per se. And as you slowly start to relearn how to eat or be able to eat, the goal is we guide you with nutrition and our um, psychologist to ensure that you're feeding yourself and cues of th hunger and thirst. Uh, while keeping yourself as active and understanding the physiologic cues that tell you you're satisfied and, you know, this is the amount of energy you need for your day. And during the process, patients lose a tremendous amount of weight, uh, anywhere from 80 to 100 pounds of excessive body weight. 
a lot. Does it is it hard for them to not be able to eat not only the amounts, but also foods that they really like, maybe those sugary foods or the fatty foods? Is that um and how do you help them with that transition? So depending on the type of operation they take, it does play a significant point. So um Specific uh, related to rheumatoid gastric bypass, uh, patients most uh, are most apt to, to experiencing something called dumping, um, which is a physiologic uh, um, hypoglycemia that's induced by uh, consuming uh, refined carbohydrates. And so certain foods become um, problematic for patients after uh, bariatric surgery in that it, it, you know, it makes them feel ill. And so in some regards, it does help. But in terms of helping uh, our patients, we kind of explain, you know, these are the basic constituents that you need for your life. You know, focus on healthy lean proteins, limiting as much as you can refined uh, carbohydrates and keeping yourself adequately hydrated. Um, we encourage, you know, 60 to 70 grams of protein and kind of guide them in what kind of foods they should be eating as they recover from surgery and as they uh, proceed um, with the regular diet afterwards. And and we, because we changed the physiologic uh, anatomy for, for um, absorption, uh, our patients end up having to eat several small meals during the day, whereas previously they were able to eat rel- relatively large portions. And so we physically force them to change how they portion their their foods. And then we educate them in terms of, you know, which foods are going to make them feel energized and, you know, get them um, through their days. Are some patients not good candidates for bariatric surgery? And who might they be? So patients that are not candidates for bariatric surgery, I think first and foremost are people who aren't um, mentally ready uh, for for a change. I think the the first thing is you have to um, be ready to commit to a lifestyle change that is for the better. And so if you're still thinking, okay, I'm going to have the surgery and, and continue to eat the regular foods and, and not be active, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. And so for me, that, that's the first one. The second one is anyone who um, has an active um, drug dependence or an alcohol dependence. This is not um, this is not the right time to go through surgery. It doesn't mean that, you know, if you've had issues with, with alcohol or drugs in the past that you would be disqualified. You just have to demonstrate that you've been uh, several months, sometimes several years um, sober. Because, uh, again, there there is a, a significant uh, psych- psychological component to why some people become obese. And we want to make sure that um, we're not offering them surgery in a, in a period of time where they're not um, st- uh, steady, or they're, they're they're not completely treated from from a psych- a psychological ailment. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to doc- We're going to talk to Doctor Desio um, more about the program. Uh, this is a program at South Coast Health. It's a comprehensive weight loss surgery program, and we'll talk about some weight loss procedures and what those entail. And we'll also talk more about um, recovery and what life is like after having weight loss surgery and about lifestyle change. So you're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. And we will be right back with Dr. Danilo Desio. And he is a bariatric surgeon at South Coast Health which is a hospital system in southeastern Massachusetts. Stay tuned, folks. I'm Patricia Raskin. We'll be right back. Follow 
follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. On Next at the Mic Radio, Voice America producer and host Bonnie D. invites you to eavesdrop on her live unscripted conversations with Voice America's longtime new and upcoming hosts. Tune in as she uncovers what makes them tick, where they find their inspiration, how they define success, handle challenges, and more to inspire you to think out of the box and find your own mic. Enjoy Bonnie D's always lively spotlight conversations on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ooh, how those lips can talk. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host, keynote speaker, and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now, she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening again to The Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on Voice America com America's Voice. And today we are talking about weight loss surgery, bariatric surgery, with Dr. Danilo Desio. And he is a bariatric surgeon at South Coast Health, which is a healthcare system, hospital system in southeastern Massachusetts. And he specializes in bariatric surgery and weight management. Welcome back, Dr. Desio. Dr. Desio. Um, wanted to ask you now about the procedures. I know there were several different procedures that you use in surgery. So let's talk about um, the gastric bypass procedure. So um, the gastric bypass procedure is what we consider our gold standard operation. Um, it's the operation we've, we've done for the longest time. Uh, the original operation was described in the 1950s, and we, we modified it in the 80s and 90s to be the, the modern day Roux-en-Y. This is a reconfiguration operation. Um, the, the simple way we explain it to people, it's a restrictive operation because we, we take about 90 to 95% of the stomach out and then uh, a malabsorptive operation because we discontinue part of the small intestine to connect to that small pouch to allow absorption. 
Um, in this operation, the configuration of anatomy is converted to um, a Y configuration. So that if you think of one of the limbs of the Y, uh, food goes in one way, and then in the other limb of the Y, digestive juices uh, come to that, and both of them meet into a common channel, and that's how you begin your nutrition. And so the RUIN-Y bypasses, um, one of, like I said, one of the gold standard operations in terms of weight loss and long-term um, comorbidity uh, resolution for, for our patients. What about the laparoscopic, laparoscopic sleeve uh, gastrectomy? Have I said yeah. that correctly? Yeah, and, and what's the difference between the two? Why would you use the laparoscopic sleeve rather than the gastric bypass method? Yeah, so the uh, other operation, the sleeve gastrectomy, uh, this is a, uh, a newer operation. We, uh, we, we identified it in the 2000s, and so compared to, to the to the Ruin Y, it's, it's the new kit on the block, but um, uh, interestingly, it's actually the most commonly performed procedure uh, in the world. So um, the sleeve gastrectomy is different than the Ruin Y, where it's not just a pure reconfiguration of the intestines. Here, what we do is um, we basically trend the stomach from a floppy bean-like organ um, into the shape of a very thin banana. Right? So the way I explain it to my patients is I put a, um, a calibrating uh, garden hose down the esophagus into the stomach, and then I take a serum of staplers and I cut out about 80% of the stomach to reshape the stomach into a small banana. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is also an effective operation to help um, lose weight. Um, it's just the, uh, you know, the, the end outcome is a little bit different than, than, than the, the bypass. And when might you use that rather than the other? When, where is the application for each of them? So, the way, in, in my practice specifically, um, after discussing the different operations, there the, the risks and, and benefits. Um, I kind of let my patients pick uh, which operation they want. So, in terms of my preference, um, you know, I'll lean them a certain direction depending on their comorbidities. But really, I would say the comorbidities drive which operation one should consider. In terms of the sleeve gastrectomy, um, it's it's pretty good in terms of weight loss uh, and and and, um, and uh, medical comorbidity resolution. Uh, the, the challenge with the sleeve is that it doesn't necessarily restrict on what you can eat. And so um, when we look at long-term outcomes for, for patients who are diabetic, um, it's not the most durable uh, curative solution for diabetes, uh, but it does very good with our diabetic patients. Um, the issue with the sleeve gastrectomy, the risk that I tell my patients is that um, there's a 5 to 10% chance that the, uh, my patients do or do not have reflux, experience worse reflux. And so a common challenge that patients have when you um, when you have this new anatomy is that they, de- they develop reflux than they had before. And sometimes we can treat that with medications or sometimes you actually have to uh, revise and, and convert them from the sleeve to the rule and why gastric bypass. Right. So the history is very important. The, 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 the condition, the history, the background is very important in making this decision. Correct. So in terms of uh, recommendations for myself, um, I really review the patient's comorbidities and explain to them, look, if you're on these medications for reflux, you're at pretty high risk of having worsened symptoms of this that might be debilitating. So this may not be a good option for you, if that, if that makes sense. But um, not everybody has reflux and not everybody feels that their reflux is that impactful. And so some people will choose to have this operation um, because they feel that the likelihood that it's going to get worse is less. And I kind of let my patients decide what, what they ultimately want. In terms of specifically for the and Y gastric bypass, um, long-term data shows that it's much better for resolution for type 2 diabetes, and it's curative for reflux. And so one of the deciding factors for my patients is, like, look, if you have reflux, um, you should consider 
you know, at least consider the rheumatoid bypass. But importantly, if diabetes is your primary driver uh, to undergo weight loss surgery, if you want like resolution or complete improvement of diabetes, the one of the best operations that we have is the rheumatoid gastric bypass. Not to say that the sleeve doesn't help very much. The sleeve also has very good outcomes. It's just long-term five to 10 uh, year data points that the, the bypass right. a more effect on diabetes. Now, explain the bariatric surgery revision. Is this when you're converting from one surgery to another, the revision? Yeah, so revisional surgery, uh, at least in how we approach it at South Coast, um, is really not intended for uh, recidivism or weight regain. Um, so what I consider revision is, say, um, I had done a sleeve gastrectomy in a patient, and the reflux is really becoming life-limiting or debilitating. Then mm-hmm. I was speaking with that patient, like, look, we tried the sleeve and, and it did, had this effect on your weight loss, but you you know if you're uncomfortable with reflux, I can convert the sleeve into a bypass. Mm-hmm. We can potentially you know cure you of your reflux. Uh, alternatively, there are other operations that were done in times past um, that we don't offer anymore. Um, there were less effective or hard problems, and then we'll convert them from those operations to the new operations. A, a good example is. Um, an operation that was commonly done uh, in the early 2000s was a, a band placement or a, a balloon placement outside of the stomach, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, had uh, less than ideal weight loss and um, more more complications and problems long term. And so in, in my practice, when someone comes to see me with a band, I offer them a few things I can offer just to remove the band. If just the symptoms are what's driving the patient, um, you know, not, 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 not do well. Uh, alternatively, we'll discuss, you know, do you want to convert the band to a sleeve or a bypass if you, you know, if those patients didn't experience um, adequate weight loss from, from the band itself. Um, mm-hmm. So those it, revisional surgery is more nuanced because it depends on what the patient had previously. Um, and then uh, the other types of, of revisions that I do is, is uh, in terms of post-reflux, I do uh, some complex uh, hiatal repair or, or uh, diaphragm in, 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 in uh or gut repairs for patients who have chronic reflux that are not necessarily associated with the, the uh, just an anatomic problem after surgery. Mm-hmm. Now, for the patients that have the laparoscopic surgery or they have um, the gastric bypass surgery, how do most of them do? Do most of them do well? Um, how many need revision? What do you find in terms of results? So, um, in terms of results, I really, I really think it's it, the, from my experience, the, the patients who are most ready in terms of, um, you know, fully dedicating to changing a lifestyle, changing a diet, they do pretty well. Um, in terms of recovery and, and outcomes, my, I, I, all of my bariatric operations I do robotically, which is, um, it's an advanced form of laparoscopy. And so, for for my patients, it's the exact same incisions pretty much from the sleeve or a bypass. So I tell my patients, you really can't tell externally what I did on the inside. Mm-hmm. side uh, is different um and so it's a means so long term though um my patients have experienced uh, significant weight loss um they've come off of most of their medications and really have improved their lives but in terms of success it's really driven not just so much from the surgery but how the patients change their minds and how they approach eating and how they live the rest of their lives after surgery and, and, and how they use the benefits of, of having the weight loss so a lot of this is about their attitude. I mean, it sounds to me like they have to have a certain mindset in order for this to be successful afterwards. 
Correct. As I, I always caution my patients, uh, you know, surgery isn't the solution to the problem. Surgery is a very effective tool. If you're motivated and if you're ready for a change, it can be life changing. Uh, but it does take the effort, energy and dedication of the patient to maintain and really change their lives for the better. Um, and what we do at South Coast is, you know, not just offer the surgery, but really offer a multidisciplinary group to ensure that the patients recover well and are supported one, two, five, ten years after uh, their, their surgery. Uh, so we have dedicated programs even for, for patients who are, want to get back on track. Because uh, really, unfortunately, uh, you know, morbid obesity is a, is a chronic lifelong disease, um, and it's not just treated with surgery. Right. And so when we come back after the break, I want to talk more to you about the support groups and the support that people are getting, you know, after they've been through this procedure. Now, the procedure itself, um, before we go to break, how long is it? Is it an hour long, a couple of hours long? Yeah, so uh, a robotic sleeve gastrectomy takes me about 45 minutes uh, from, from skin to skin, so it's not a particularly long operation. The Ruin Y gastric bypass as uh, several more steps, and so that operation takes about an hour, hour and a half uh, from skin to skin. Uh, both operations are less than three hours, so they're, I know, uh, relatively low risk, not not long operations. Uh, my practice is all of my patients get admitted to the hospital for observation at least 24 hours, because um, I want to make sure that I uh, observe their diet progression. I want to make sure that my patients are drinking adequately before they're ready to go home, and pain and, and everything else is, is adequately managed before, you know, they, they go home. So they stay overnight the night before? No, they stay the night after surgery. So they'll come in the day of surgery. Um, I'll talk to them again about the operation, kind of answer last minute questions. Um, then we'll go ahead and take them to the operating room. They get general anesthesia. They have their surgery, their recovery um, in the post-anesthesia care unit. And then once they're more, uh, I, I say, land, landed back to earth, then they'll go to the floor. And at that point, I'll see them on the floor and encourage them to, you know, get up out of bed, start walking and help, uh, you know, deal with the initial post-surgical discomfort. And then pretty much right off the back, we start them on liquids and start challenging them and kind of, they get a, a taste of what their new anatomy is. And I kind of guide them what to, what, they, what to expect for the next, you know, days to a few weeks to come. All right. Fascinating. Now, the next segment, we're going to talk about the support that the patients get afterwards in terms of support groups and how they handle it and and just what lifestyle is like after the surgery and, you know, the pros and, and just the whole new way of looking at life and of being able to behave after the, the surgery, the weight loss surgery. So today we are talking to Dr. Danilo Desio. MD and MBA, and he's a bariatric surgeon at South Coast Health, which is a hospital system in Southeastern Massachusetts. And he specializes in bariatric surgery and weight management. When we come back, we're going to talk again about the support groups and how people work through this process now after the surgery. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice, and we'll be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. All who live face a time of passing. Is death the end or will souls enter an afterlife? Have you ever wondered about historical figures and what they would say if they were alive today? 
Psychics and authors Barry and Connie Strom will use their gift of spirit communication to answer questions and channel spirits concerning the hereafter. Tune in to Spirit Speak, exploring the afterlife with Barry and Connie Strom at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Did you know that the quality of our daily lives is directly influenced by the design of our built environment? Our homes, our work, the way we move, and where we play are all shaped by the design of our cities. This thought-provoking new show from architect, urban designer, and educator, Carrie Pennebod, examines the complex forces that shape the making of our physical world. Lively conversations with leading experts in a variety of fields engage some of the greatest challenges facing our cities today, including climate change, affordable housing, embedded technologies, infrastructure design, architecture and the arts, urban policy, social mobility, and much, much more. Tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, so that together we can design a better world. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com. And today we're talking to Dr. Danilo Desio. And Dr. Danilo Desio is an MD, MBA bariatric surgeon at South Coast Hospital System, which is a system in southeastern Massachusetts. And he specializes in bariatric surgery and weight management. And we're talking today about weight loss and bariatric surgery. So, Dr. Desio, here's my next question. How do patients fare? How do they change their lifestyle? What is life for them afterwards? What are the challenges? What are the pros? What are the cons? Um, You know, are people saying afterwards, boy, this was the best thing I ever did? Or do you get some patients who say, I don't know, you know, this has just been too much. So share the kind of the emotional side and also how people change their lifestyle and are okay with it or not. A a pretty common theme the first few weeks, uh, and it doesn't happen to everybody. uh, uh, Some people question themselves the first few weeks because the, the challenge after surgery is it's very difficult to consume not just food, but also water. And so, uh, the way I explain it to my patients, look, for the first few weeks, you're going to feel uh, a, a medicine cup worth of volume is like four hours at a, at a buffet. Um, and so you get full very fast. And so initially you, you eat, you know, a couple bites of food and you, you're good to go. 
what gets t- challenging for people is initially you're more of a soft or, or full liquid consistency, and that kind of gets boring. And so inevitably, all of my patients are like, I'm kind of getting sick of the protein shakes. And honestly, by the time I see them in, you know, uh, uh, one week, two weeks after surgery, I'm like, start incorporating things like eggs, soft cheeses, things that are, you know, um, easy to, to, to chew and swallow. Really, by the three, six-month mark, they're more eating regular foods. Uh, and by then, they're they're more chipper. Because uh, I explained to my patients, look, when I see them in one or two weeks, they lose 15, 20 pounds. And for a lot of my patients, they've never really experienced that before. So it's the first time they get to not only see the number of the scale, but they start noticing that their clothes are starting to change. I think for a lot of my patients, once they start losing the weight, once they start feeling more energized because it's easier to do things now that you've offloaded 20, 30, 40 pounds, they start to do things that they haven't been able to do before. And, and that really starts to sink in why they did it. And then that helps motivate them. You know, this is why you're, you're choosing not to have these certain foods. And this is why you're trying to turn away from food as a, as a treatment for your, your, your anxiety or depression. And so what do you slowly, you start to see people become empowered. They want to walk more. They want to exercise more. They want to play with their children. Um, and as you start cutting out multiple medications, they start noticing, wow, you know, this is really changing my life and improving. And so, um, and doing the program, they're seeing myself, they're seeing the nutritionist, they're seeing our psychologist. We have support groups for our patients in, in various languages. So in, in my specific practice, I practice in Portuguese, Spanish, and English. And we do everything we can to offer our community the support they need in their native language and we'll do everything we can to ensure that they're, they have all the support they need when they're recovering. So it sounds like most patients are happy with the results long term. Right. So uh, after the initial challenges, as things get a little bit easier and they're having less di- less discomfort, they overall turn become happier. A lot of them kind of get into a routine of what they eat pretty frequently, and that becomes kind of what they do. And for a lot of them, that's that's reassuring and, and comforting. Do any of them miss the old foods? Did they ever say to you, you know, I, I miss what I used to eat before, the pie or the cake or whatever it is? So... I really haven't experienced that, uh, but I'm also um, pretty, pretty honest with my patient. I'm like, look, I'm not only because you've had an operation doesn't mean that you ne- can never enjoy the things that, that were, you know, that give meaning to your life. So, yes, you can go to a birthday and you can have some cake. The, the difference is you can have a small slice of cake and you'll be satisfied and you'll be happy. And you're no longer seeking to eat, you know, multiple portions of that. And it, that itself, it's not driving your motivations and what excites you in life. Uh, and, and so I, I, I have the, a pragmatic vision of my patients, look, you're going to be able to do everything you'd like to do within moderation. And a lot of my patients find a lot of comfort in that. And they don't feel like they've given a, you know, it's not like they've given up a limb that they can't use anymore. And, and a lot of them don't, I'll be honest, most of my patients don't turn to a lot of junk foods because, um, after a while, when you start not consuming a lot of refined foods, you, you lose the palate, uh, to eat those things and, and you find things very sweet and really not, um, uh, they just don't taste as, as quite as well as, as they used to before. Do you find that a lot of them exercise more because now they have, they're more mobile, right? They don't have the same amount of weight so they can, they can move more. Well, absolutely. And, and, uh, this is my analogy to, to, to exercising. I tell, I tell everybody, if you, you got to treat yourself kind of like a car, not exercising is like not changing the oil in your car. So you can go several thousand miles without changing your oil. At some point, the engine's going to kick in. 
but uh, to answer your question, as, as patients lose weight, they offload 30, 40 pounds. It's a lot easier to walk. It's a lot easier to do activity with their kids or their loved yeah. ones. But so yeah. I find my patients really taking on that opportunity to enjoy life with them. And I explained to them, really, exercise doesn't mean you have to go to the gym. Exercise is, did you go for a 30-minute walk with your, with your loved one today? Did you go outside and see the sun? And, and really, I, I encourage them to do activities in the community that are fulfilling for them. And, and really, very a lot of my patients turn to dancing. They turn to walking near our coast here. Uh, and then some some do want to go to the gym and spend, you know, I have, I have a patient that goes twice a day. Uh, but really, they find the fulfillment in the activities they weren't able to do beforehand. And really, when they're not taking a bunch of medications and they're feeling more energized, they're kind of encouraged to do that because it makes them feel good. So it's like a different life. It's a, it's a whole different life now for them. Absolutely. And I think, you know, and my, my bias is I think it's a, it's a life for the best. And, and I tell them, look, I, the reason I do this is that I want you to be able to spend the time with your kids or, you know, be at the wedding that you, you were wanting to be uh, and be as active as you can and enjoy the, you know, the things you used to do when you were younger or things you haven't done since you were a teenager. About the stigma. I mean, there's, there is stigma about obesity. Um, what's your feeling about that? Do you think that's changing so I think stigma is ever present, especially in the, in, in the world of social media. You're going to get your pros and cons. Um, I think when you turn to your loved ones and you turn to friends who've been through the program or have, have changed their lives for the better, that kind of gets muted a bit. Uh, and you kind of start to assess, you know, where do you want for your own life? And I think the important thing that I tell my patients is that this is a personal decision for you. Don't let others kind of motivate you or demotivate you. You should want to do this for yourself or your health. Uh, but to answer your question, stigma is is part of our society, and I think I, I try to empower my patients to make the best choices from themselves. Um, and I, you know, I, I counsel them as best as I can. Now, I know you've come. You you said that you were from Brazil. You told me that off air. Do you see um, as much obesity in other cultures like Latin cultures than you do here? So uh, I actually recently just came back uh, from my home country. I, I'm, I'm from Brazil, um, and unfortunately. Uh, as the world is adopting, you know, refined foods on our diets, I'm seeing obesity trends in my own country that I hadn't seen when I when I grew up and as a as a young child in Brazil. So I do think um, obesity is becoming a global proud, uh, problem. I think in some ways we we we're, we're solving the the hunger problem of the world, but now we have we live a life of excess and refined foods that our physiology has never really quite had enough time to adapt. Uh, so to answer your question, unfortunately, I think this is becoming a, a global problem and not just unique to the United States. Yeah. So it, it, from what you're saying, exercise, eating whole foods, you know, watching your portions and and enjoying your life. Right. So that um, so that food doesn't become an emotional issue, which it does. But if we can have other outlets that will help us. Um, in terms of our dependency on food emotionally? What do you think? I agree. I think it's creating a constructive relationship with food. I mean, uh, yes. we, yeah. there's a reason, there's a reason we, we, we enjoy foods, but, you know, uh, it, it, you have to do, it's, it's like anything else, you have to do it responsibly. So, you know, anything in moderation in life is pretty healthy. And, and really, uh, you should use your food to drive the engine that gets you to do the things that you want. And so the way, the analogy I give to my patients is, look, you have to treat food like it's putting gasoline in your car. You don't overfill your gas tank because it costs you money. 
Why are you overfilling, you know, your gas tank? Why are you filling you know, the back seat, the passenger seat, the roof in the front of the car with excessive gasoline and then complaining that, you know, the car is going slow and your engine's starting to break down? You know, all I. What about ages? When would you say, is there a certain age limit in terms of how young you can be to have this kind of surgery, the gastric bypass surgery or the bariatric surgery in general? Is there a limit on age or is it more about health? So for my practice specifically, um, I don't do pediatric bariatrics. I know that the American uh, the College of Surgeons uh, in pediatric surgery has approved uh, bariatric surgery for children. Um, the explanation there is simple. We're starting to see type 2 diabetes in 13 and 14-year-olds. And um, if you project you know, their lifespan, they're, you're looking at, you know, those, those patients potentially losing, I mean, um, living to 30, 40 years of life. And so, you know, offering them surgery to cure their diabetes may prolong their lives, you know, to the 60s and the 70s. Okay. Um, in terms of age restrictions for me, um, I really, I, I present to my, my, my colleagues uh, to ensure, you know, patients above 65, if I, if I feel that they have um, reasonable medical comorbidities and they're going to do well with the operation, I tend to offer it. Um, the additional reason we offer surgery is if you look at patients who have a body mass index of over 40, uh, they have a decreased lifespan of 10 to 15 years. And so if you look at trying to give this patient 10 to 15 years, if they're in their 70s and 80s, you kind of question yourself, are they really going to live an additional 10 to 15 years? Is the benefit of surgery outweighed you know, risks? And, and so it ends up being uh, uh, most of my practice for the uh, for my elder patients is more a discussion with the patients, risk and benefits, and then kind of discussing with my partners. You know, do we feel that the patient's really going to derive a benefit from the operation? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say age is more individualized as you get to um, both um, young and, and, and elderly. But in my, my practice, I don't I don't do pediatrics. So the youngest that I'll do is 18 because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an adult surgeon. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back in our last segment with Dr. Desio, we're going to talk about, you know, his life uh, growing up in Brazil. And as I had said in the beginning, um, he was inspired to become a physician when his younger brother was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder at the age of two. And just, you know, his philosophy, why did he choose this specialty? And, you know, his advice about living and lifestyle based on so much of what he's seen um, as a bariatric surgeon and helping people maintain weight um, as well. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. And my guest today is Dr. Danilo Desio, MD, MBA, bariatric surgeon at South Coast Health in Southeastern Massachusetts. And he specializes in bariatric surgery and weight management. We'll be right back. Birdie told me Voice America is on X. Follow us at Voice America TRN. The boroughs are New York City. The burbs are everywhere else. Real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward. It's the biggest investment most people ever make. Fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day. And we're not playing with Monopoly money. How do you stay ahead? Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? What do they know? We want the truth. You need an edge. Burrows and Burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high-stakes world of real estate. From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, we press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burrows and Burbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific, 
because everyone can make money in real estate. The Feng Shui way to peace, balance, and abundance with Catherine Dean is about bringing the benefits of Feng Shui to the forefront, allowing everyone with an interest to learn and understand how its principles can work in one's day-to-day life. We'll demystify Feng Shui, show its many applications, and allow the listener to understand how and why it is so useful. The goal is to educate, entertain, and spread the word about using Feng Shui Way to bring about peace, balance, and abundance to one's life. The Feng Shui Way with Catherine Dean, Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Join us on the Luxury Lifestyle Blueprint Podcast as we delve into the world of living a luxurious lifestyle as a successful entrepreneur. Our discussions will cover essential topics such as the significance of networking in business, relationship building, leadership, spirituality, luxury travel, empowerment, healthy living, and personal development. We will also talk about how you can leverage your attractive lifestyle and heal and reinvent your life by managing other factors such as mental health, stress, time, and much more. The Luxury Lifestyle Blueprint Podcast, hosted by B. Baylor, Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. are listening to the patricia raskin show if you wish to call into our program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that number again is 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com now back to the patricia raskin show everyone and we are back you are listening to the patricia raskin positive living show right here on voiceamerica.com america's voice and today we're talking about weight loss bariatric surgery with dr danilo desio and dr danilo desio is an md mba bariatric surgeon at south coast health in southeastern massachusetts and specializes in bariatric surgery and weight management welcome back dr desio all right let's talk about kind of why you went into this um, you know, why did you pick this field? Now, we can talk about um, that you were inspired to become a physician when your younger brother um, was diagnosed with the autism spectrum when he was just two. So kind of talk about your evolution and how you came to this specialty. So uh, my entry into medicine was my brother. Um, you know, when we, fir- it would, we first moved to the United States, we lived in Jacksonville, and that's when my, my brother was diagnosed with a PDD-NOS, or pervasive deficit disorder, not otherwise specified, uh, which is an autism spectrum disorder. Um, and, you know, our family went through a lot of hardships because it, it was a new diagnosis. We didn't really know, you know, uh, how far my brother would progress. And so my, my brother had a lot of visits with neurologists as a neurologist and when he was younger. Um, at the time, the only person in my family who spoke English was my father. And then I was put in school. So I, I, I adapted to learning, you know, spoken English pretty fast at the age of nine. Um, and as I grew up, you know, I had a, I, I really gravitated to wanting to, you know, to become a surgeon or become, sorry, become a physician. Uh, and at the time I thought I was going to be a neurologist. So in high school, I worked with a neurologist. I, I uh, spent time with him after school. Um, uh, neurologist I met uh, when when I did Capoeira in, in Tallahassee and started doing, uh, you know, I got interested in neuroscience. I did a lot of research in neuroscience in, 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 at the University of Florida. And then ultimately went to the medical school and I was 
pretty sure I was going to be a neurologist until my second year when um, I realized that uh, I, I didn't like neurology because I wasn't solving problems. That's how I, how I viewed it. Um, and then I fell in love with, with surgery. And so I made a pivot in, into surgery. And at the time, really didn't know where I fit in. And it wasn't until I became a resident and kind of experienced different rotations in surgery that I realized that I can, you know, pursue minimally invasive surgery or, or surgery with little cuts. And uh, bariatrics was a nice avenue to do minimally invasive surgery. Um, and I could actually apply what I went to college for, which was nutrition as part of my life. And so um, I never really planned to be a bariatric surgeon. I think in certain sense, it, it was happenstance. It was, it was experiences I had from my undergraduate degree and then uh, what I found my passion during during my training. And then um, I spent a year of specialization in Miami, um, learning to do robotics and more bariatric surgery. And really, that's when I honed in my passion. It was, it was the first time I, I practiced in um, Spanish and then Portuguese. And then I uh, really incorporated that into my, my practice. Um, and, and now I, you know, I, I, I find it an integral part of my, what I, what I like to do. I think it's a tremendous, uh, benefit to the community and a service that I, I'm proud to, to offer, uh, for the South Coast of Massachusetts. What do you love most about it? I think what I love the most is, uh, you know, the beginning is challenging, you know, patients are, are reluctant because they've, you know, just been injured and they can't really eat. Uh, things are, are challenging, but what really moves me is when I get a picture or, or I get a message a year or two, uh, Look, I was able to get married. Uh, I'm off of these medications. Or I went on this vacation with a loved one, or you know, I have a patient of mine. Who's like, you know, can you please be at my wedding? You know, if you change my life, um, it's really the patients. It's it's to see how they responded to something that I've done and really changed their life for the better. And I think that's what motivates me to do it every day. And I do everything I can to you know continue to offer that because it's a it's really life changing to see when when my patients begin their lives how they are in one state and seeing a complete different person in a year or two. And what would you say um, is your philosophy of life based on everything you've seen, you know, abroad, growing up in another culture, coming here, um, you know, having a family member, living with, uh, with an illness, um, and then now helping other people um, get better. What kind of, where has that left you and how you feel about life in general? You know, uh, my philosophy of life is pretty simple. Um, you know, I, I treat my patients pretty much as I would treat my loved one, like someone like my brother or my a family member. Uh, you know, I have a specific, uh, you know, unique um, skill set and, and, and I can offer certain services. But really, when I meet people, I'm, I'm just one on one with them. You know, what is your problem? How can I help? You know, these are, this is what I can offer. Do you think this makes sense? Um, and really... It's a dialogue between me and my patients. They're like, this is what I think we should do. What are your, what are your thoughts? Do you think this is, you know, worth pursuing? And I really, uh, I try to let people make their, you know, educated decisions with my guidance based on what I think they should do. But for me, it's it's, it's the service of the community. You know, I, I pride myself that, you know, I see my patients in the grocery store. Or I see my patients in church. Um, and, you know, I want to be seen as, you know, a member of the, of the community in, in, in a positive light. So my goal is always to, you know, I'm forthcoming honest, sometimes brutally honest uh, for a certain extent to my detriment. But, um, you know, I, I, I've heard only positive affirmations from my patients. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm very, very happy with, with uh, how you know, my professional career and, and, and how my patients overall do. So I'm, I'm, 
I feel blessed in a lot of ways. I, I never really planned to have the career that I have, but I'm, I'm gracious to, to what I've gotten and I, and I try to give it back to the community. Wow. And your family, your children, what are you teaching them about lifestyle and nutrition and exercise? That's the thing. So I, I'm a father of two. I have a three and a six year old. Um, and really, you know, at home, uh, people think I'm a little odd. So I have our chickens. So I have my, my eight birds that I take care of. I try, we have our own, you know, uh, six raised beds so we can grow our own foods. You know, most of our meals are cooked, home cooked meals. Um, we limit eating out as much as possible. I'm very active. Like my boys do Taekwondo. I just took them out this evening and, you know, we play sports in the home. And I try to lead by example, you know, with children stuff, we can talk to them as much as you want, but really they learn. Uh, the habits that you have at home and, and how you conduct yourself and, and how you treat others. So I try to lead by example, you know, um, I'm Catholic. So we, we go to church together and we have a very healthy, you know, community. And, and I think that's important. I think that's the foundation for, for them. And, and I want to ensure that they have a healthy, you know, uh, lifestyle in terms of eating and approaching food and exercise and um, hopefully not need the services for, for their own life. What would you like to leave our listeners with? Closing thoughts about surgery, weight management, lifestyle. What's your message? My message is, you know, obesity is a consequence of our modern day life. A lot of it has to do with, you know, the conveniences of, of the access, easy access of food. Um, it's a treatable disease. Um, it can be treated without med- with, without medications, without surgery. But if you find yourself in a position where you've tried many things and you're hitting a wall and you want help, um, you know, there's great surgeons throughout the country that offer this as a service. And then this could really be a significant change in your life. This could really give you back the life that you thought you would never have and, and really give meaning to, um, you know, what you're going through. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're here, at least here at South coast, we're here for the community and I'm happy to help if, if you're nearby, but otherwise there's, you know, this is a, a great specialty that really cares for, for the community, at least here in the United States. Thank you so much, Dr. Desio. Wonderful interview. What is the website for South Coast? I believe our website is www.southcoasthelp.org. Sorry, uh, southcoast.org. Southcoast.org. And they can look you up as well. Um, Danilo Desio, MD. Thank you so much for being on the program. Stay on for a moment. Thank you. It was wonderful. Thank you. All right, everyone. This wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com. Um, remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. You can find me, Patricia Raskin, Raskin Resources on Facebook. You can write to me, Patricia, at patriciaraskin.com. If you'd like to be on my newsletter list and see these amazing guests that I have on each week. And if you'd like to do your own podcast, I've interviewed over 5,000 people in my career, and I'd love to help you get your positive message out. So contact me. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.